Imagine learning in a small group intimate setting while exploring unique European locations. EU Vet CE Experiences offers race-approved CE seminars that combine half-day lectures with time to relax and discover captivating cultures. The CE sessions are delivered in English, allowing you to elevate your career while vacationing with loved ones. Experience the perfect blend of learning and luxury at EU Vet CE Experiences interactive seminars in hand-picked European destinations. Elevate your knowledge and recharge simultaneously. Visit euveterinaryce.com to learn more. I'm most grateful for my very unusual veterinary path. You don't have to have the next five years planned. Remember the reason why you busted your butt to get into veterinary school. That was the vet girl, Justine Lee, the veterinarian that I doubt needs much of an introduction but here you go. Justine was the visionary behind the virtual continuing education platform, VetGirl, back when we used to use Walkmans. Google it if you don't know what a Walkman is, so I don't feel old. This was long before virtual education became the way. This is the way. Uh, from the pandemic. Justine is double boarded in emergency and critical care and toxicology. She's a clinician, an author, speaker, TV star, wife, mom. I am a fangirl, but at the end of the day, I think you'll find you will relate to her greatly from avoiding telling people we are vets. So they won't ask us about their pet questions, struggling with work-life balance to even our definition of success. We talk about some deep things in this conversation, which I hope you enjoy and appreciate. Here's Justine. If you see somebody on the street and they just say, so what do you do? Do you have an elevator pitch or how do you answer that question? <laughs> Great question. Cause I don't have a typical job like a veterinarian. So I would say, I usually say that I head an online veterinary continuing education company. And I say that specifically because I, A, don't want strangers to know that I'm a veterinarian because, you know, of course, they bombard you instantly with all their pet questions. Uh, so I usually just say that I uh, do a lot of lecturing, consulting, and education. Fair enough. I think that's great. I, I think it's always good to have a little bit of an elevator pitch that's general enough where it conveys it, but then you can move on. So. <laughs> Um, well, especially I, important on a plane, right? Yes, I have done the the bad thing about, and I said I was a veterinary nutritionist, and I got a whole lecture on corn and GMOs. Exactly, so I, I learned the hard way. Um, but I I got to meet you um, in person at the Savma conference this year, and so I got to see you do your keynote presentation, and I I also heard that you have a really big heart for veterinary students, so I was kind of curious, what are some of the biggest things you remember from vet school yourself? Oh, well, you know, first of all, it was so fun being at SAVMA. I love actually uh, exhibiting and lecturing at SAVMA because it's always really nice to see the passion of vet students. And you really forget that the farther away you are from graduation. You know, I graduated 20, almost 25 years ago from Cornell. And I always tell people, you know, once you lose that enthusiasm as a vet student, it's time to take a break from veterinary medicine. So that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about vet students, because I love that enthusiasm. Um, for SAVMA, when I was there, what I spoke about for the keynote was um, a lot of my journey through veterinary medicine. And, you know, the funny thing was 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, when I graduated, we were actually one of the first classes at Cornell to have 
email, <laughs> which sounds totally <laughs> crazy, but even in undergrad, I didn't have email. Uh, which is our main way of communicating now. So it's just so different. You know, now there's social media, now there's, you know, online reviews. Now there's a lot more um, different problems that I would say newer graduates have to deal with compared to what I had to deal with, you know, 10, 20 years ago. So, you know, just trying to be a, a good ambassador to encourage veterinary students and anyone out there to really remember the reason why they went into vet med. You know, we all really busted our butts to get into vet school. And then we sort of forget about that when we get really burnt out. Yes, absolutely. And you have done, like I said, a lot of different things with your career. So I was curious when, you know, starting even within vet school and starting to decide on a, a residency to go into, what were some of the things you thought about when you made those dis- different career decisions? Well, that's the craziest thing. So I always tell people when they're in vet school, you know, even when I was at SABMA, people are like, oh, I want to do this residency or I I know I want to do this. And I always say, you know, you're going to change your mind so much in over your career. So you don't have to go into veterinary school knowing you want to be an emergency critical care specialist or that you want to do X, Y, and Z. And I remember being on rotation my third and fourth year. And for a while, I thought I wanted to do ClinPath. And then I realized I got super, super nauseous when someone else was driving the scope. And then for a while, I wanted to do surgery. And, you know, I changed my mind so many times. And it wasn't until I took some time off um, after my internship where I really missed the busyness of emergency. So I always say the best advice I could give a new graduate or a vet student is you don't have to have the next five years planned, right? You can just roll with it. You can figure it out. I do say, you know, you have to work really hard in vet school. You, I'm actually a huge advocate of doing internships because I think it gives you so much experience. I think it exposes you to specialists, to different uh, job opportunities that you may want to pursue. Um, And then after that, you know, if you want to take a break between your internship and residency, that's totally fine. Um, I will also tell people that I know some amazing veterinarians who they did their internships and they never did a residency and they do more than I do. You know, I don't cut my own GDVs. I don't do chemotherapy. And a lot of general practitioners that I work with are amazing because they do all of that. So the biggest takeaway is, you know, you, you have so many options in veterinary medicine. You don't have to become board certified. You don't have to do an internship to be an amazing vet, but you have to be passionate. You have to be a hard worker. You have to really, really love what you do. Um, and you, my general philosophy is, you know, practice the way you would if it was your own pet. Um, so that's my general uh, advice that I have for, you know, budding vet- veterinarians or veterinary students. Yeah. And I agree that there are a lot of different things that veterinarians can do these days. I think that there's no better time uh, than today to, to really sit down and think about what really makes you excited and passionate and uh, to create that career. And I, I see that for you as well, you know, being able to see a need, know what you're passionate about and you go and do it. And uh, looking at all the opportunities that you've had, whether it's being on different TV shows or things like that, um, a lot of opportunities you've embraced. And I'm actually kind of curious, how, how do you get these opportunities? Are you very proactive? Do you go look for them? Or do you kind of focus on what you like, and then these opportunities kind of come your way. 
Great question. I would say, no, I don't look for them. I've been really, really fortunate. I do believe everything happens for a reason. Um, I, gosh, it was back in 2007, 2008, when I was reading a book and it was a book written by a human emergency doctor. And he had written a book called Why Do Men Have Nipples? And it was basically this humorous book about, you know, questions that you never thought you could ask your human ER physician, like, does it really take, you know, seven years to digest gum? Or why do you have to wait 30 minutes after swimming? And I remember as soon as I finished that book, I put that book down and I was like, I'm going to write the veterinary version to this book. And so I went on the long task of of writing two books that were designed for pet owners. And they're designed to be humorous books. Uh, The dog book is called It's a Dog's Life, But It's Your Carpet. And the cat's book the cat book is called, it's a cat's world. You just live in it. And I will say it was, it was definitely one of the hardest things I did. I've published in peer reviewed scientific journals a lot, but to actually get something published in like a Barnes and Nobles is so much harder. And it was just a lot of work. And interestingly enough, I, you know, I never sold enough books to make royalties. It was a fun project and it did actually open up a lot of doors. So it opened up a lot of doors in terms of like me blogging for or writing for Prevention Magazine, me blogging for a couple of companies. Um, So it was probably through those opportunities after writing those two books that it opened more doors. Um, Right now, I would say, um, you know, I know a lot of vet students or younger veterinarians are always looking for that side hustle. And it does actually open up potential opportunities, um, but it's so much work. So that's the biggest thing I always warn people about. So make sure you're at least somewhat passionate about it if you're going to put all that work in. <laughs> exactly. That's that's what I call uh, being a work of frolic. I'm, I'm a workaholic by tendency, but if it's something that brings me joy, I call it being a work of frolic instead. I love that. I will probably use that term again. Um, so if you could go back and talk to your 21 year old self, what do you think you would be most shocked that you've gotten to do? Oh gosh. Well, uh, reflecting back, I only went to three years of undergrad at Virginia tech. And then when I reflect back to how young I was, when I went to vet school, I wasn't even 20 yet. And so in retrospect, I was very immature in veterinary school. So looking at my 21 year old self, um, I probably would have um, given myself the advice to relax and enjoy veterinary school more because I had worked really hard to get into vet school. Um, You know, I was an animal science major and took way too many credits per semester. And then I had to work really hard where I felt like I was a little fish in a big pond once I got to Cornell. And, you know, I was, I was that uh, vet student who was always closing out the library Friday nights. So in retrospect, I, I would have given the advice to enjoy veterinary school more. Uh, the four years fly by so quickly. And my first year, I definitely struggled. Um, I had transfer letters typed out to other schools. I just, you know, didn't love the experience, but ended up falling in love with it. Uh, my second through fourth year, once I really loved, uh, really learned to love Ithaca and just live in the moment a little bit more. So I would say, um, enjoy life more. What is one of the, the more surprising things that you've gotten to do in your career, um, that you never would have thought you would have done? 
So the most surprising thing would be um, being a co-host with Dr. Will Draper, who's a veterinarian who owns several veterinary clinics in the Atlanta metro area called the Village Vets. And I got to team up with him um, and also the um, host, Mark Steinus, who used to be the host of Entertainment Tonight from like the 80s and 90s when I grew up. And so we got to host a show called um, Animal ER. And that was really, really fun because it was a passion project of mine being an emergency critical care specialist. And it was with a lot of hospitals that I had either done an internship at, or I had a high level of respect for um, angel animal medical center was one of the hospitals featured and just some amazing hospitals. Um, so that was a really fun um, opportunity to be on Nat geo wild. It was pretty short lived. Uh, it was only, it only ran for one season. Apparently uh, it was a little too gory for the pet owner, but uh, that was a lot of fun. That, that's actually a little surprising. Some people like gore, <laughs> but maybe it's a little too realistic gore. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, so what, one thing I wanted to ask you as well is um, what with all of the things you've gotten to do, you know, really seeing unique parts of the profession, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're seeing more in, in today? The biggest, the biggest challenges in veterinary medicine that I see right now, um, I would say the debt to income ratio is obviously a huge one. I graduated again, 20, 25 years ago with six figure debt and it really stressed me out. Uh, mm -hmm. My parents were fantastic. They paid for my undergrad. Um, I also chose to be as fiscally responsible as I could going to a state school and being a resident advisor and having a couple of side jobs. When I had to take on that graduate school debt, um, it was extremely stressful and it added a lot of um, undue burden, especially during veterinary school, because back then my loans were unsubsidized. So I was accumulating interest while I was in veterinary school and it was high. It was 8%. So that was a big stressor, and it still is a big stressor even decades out. We all know that the debt-to-income ratio for veterinary professionals is um, very, very poor compared to human medicine. And, you know, we all get asked at some point in our life, oh, why don't you become a real doctor? Um, I did actually think about transferring my second year in vet school to um, medical school. And it was based on a experience where I had to do CPR on someone and they died. And, you know, ultimately, I think that debt to income ratio contributes to a lot of the um, stressors that um, affect veterinarians. And we can't even say young veterinarians because some of us have that debt for 10, 15, 20 years. And to have six figure debt compounding for such a long time, it's definitely a stressor. Um, when you look at some of the um, recent studies that have been done by Merck Animal Health on wellness, uh, their recent publication uh, showed obviously that um, the risk of suicide ideation is much, much higher in veterinary medicine compared to human physicians and even to the general U.S population. And when you, when they analyze some of the data, um, part of the stressors were work-life balance and financial strain from student debt. And, you know, that's the hardest thing. We all go into veterinary medicine because we're passionate about it. Uh, we all wanted to get into vet school, but I think uh, graduating with that six figure debt is hard. That said, um, I also felt, um, that, 
one of the things you can do is to live like a broke vet student for as long as you can. And the longer you can live like a broke vet student, the sooner you can pay off that massive amount of debt load. Now, obviously there's a lot of controversy. Some people are very pro repay or pay uh, where you pay the minimum um, amount based on um, your income, which just so you know, is potentially affected by your spouse's income, depending on what um, system you're under. And you just have to weigh financially based on calculators and, uh, you know, appropriate financial research, if it's the best decision for you. Uh, For me, having that boulder of 20 years of student debt uh, hanging over my head um, only to get, you know, the rest of it waved off, but oh, that huge tax burden to me, it wasn't worth it. Um, I didn't have that option 20, 25 years ago, but I also was able to pay off six-figure debt in 11 years, and that was with a one-year internship and a four-year residency with an average salary of 22000 a year. So um, I think the longer people can um, live like a broke vet student or broke intern or broke resident, um, the better their work-life balance if they can hammer away at their loans. Now, obviously, do your research. Repay may be the best option. Um, public service uh, loan forgiveness may be the best option. But for me, my work-life balance dramatically improved once I got rid of my student debt. And actually, I got to see an article written by Success. Uh, so they they did an article on you uh, talking about really the that you had achieved the work-life balance and especially being a mom as well. Um, and I know it was it was a long journey for you to be a mom as well. So this is actually something that came up in another interview I had with another veterinarian on um, the incidence of infertility because we we spend a lot of years working towards our career and there is a lot of stress involved. And so that can make the family aspect more challenging. So do you mind just sharing a little bit about your journey and how it might help um, a lot of our, our, prof- our colleagues? Sure. So, you know, it's interesting. I never, ever thought I would be a working mom. I mean, with my previous partner, we didn't want to have children. We wanted to be what I call dinks, double income, no kids. (laughs) And um, when I met my husband, we didn't meet till 38 and we got married at 40 and he did want to have children. And, you know, up to that point, I always viewed myself as world's best aunt, uh, world's coolest aunt. Um, And it was interesting. It was after I was undergoing a lot of stress during that time um, because of other professional issues going on. But from 40 to 43, we, we battled with infertility and we battled with multiple losses. Uh, IVF didn't work. And I, I think the hardest thing is as a scientist, you know, I went through theorogenology, like I'm all, you know, I knew about LH, FSH and all that stuff. And I just assumed, you know, when you see all those older women with twins, um, in their mid forties, I just assumed scientifically that IVF would work. And I think the hardest thing was, um, if you look at the statistics with IVF and we're talking, you know, 15,000 plus us dollars, um, for one potential cycle, um, the stats for a live birth are approximately 2.5 to 3%. And that's to a live birth with IVF. Well, your chances of getting naturally pregnant are just like one percentage point below that. So to me, um, it was like, I wasn't aware of that until I was older. 
And so the hard thing is nobody tells you to stop your veterinary career to have kids now. And I actually wrote a blog and released a blog on VetGirl called why you should stop your veterinary career and have kids now. Um, because I wish in retrospect, um, somebody had told me that. And obviously, you know, life's all about crazy timing, but um, I wasn't married at that time. I wasn't mentally prepared for it at, at that time. I just assumed I'd be married by 30 and, you know, we'd have kids at 35, but um, having still been single, it was, it was just a journey that um, we ended up going through. And I will say after three years of, 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 uh, infertility, we finally gave up. And it was after that where um, miraculously we got pregnant and it really made me realize the effects of chronic stress. Um, I was triaging all my business trips away. I was taking myself off the, off the lecturing circuit. I was trying to do yoga. I was trying to do meditation. I even quit drinking coffee for one year, um, just to try to, um, help minimize that stress and be healthier. And it didn't make a difference. And it made me realize the chronic effect of cortisol on your body. So, um, when in doubt, I will say if I could do it all over again, I would have had five kids. Like, I love it. <laughs> I love every aspect of it. Um, but something that our field has to be cognizant of, because obviously we're um, a very female dominant profession um, with, you know, vet veterinarians being 60 to 70% of um, the work field, the workforce right now. Yeah. And he's uh, about six. Is that correct? Yeah. Good memory. Um, so my son is a five and a half and, uh, he's the one and only uh, son that we're going to have. So, uh, it definitely, man, I learned a lot of lessons from it. And I will say the biggest one that I learned was how hard it is to be a working parent, whether or not you're female or male, male, whew, I had so much more, more respect once I realized how hard it is. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I would definitely not say I've mastered work-life balance. In fact, when I lecture about it, my husband laughs. Um, <laughs> it's definitely a struggle, right? It's not a perfect balance, but um, it definitely taught me, and COVID taught me this too, to um, prioritize family first over work and money and everything else. For me, uh, quality time with my family is most important. We would like to thank our sponsor, VetBadger, the all-in-one practice management software that puts relationships first. Created by working veterinary parents, VetBadger provides all the communication, team workflow, and medical management tools you need to run an efficient practice and get home to the relationships that matter most. In support of parents in VetMed, VetBadger will be offering a signed copy of the book, Pregnancy and Postpartum Considerations for the Veterinary Team by Emily Singler to everyone who registers for a demo between Mother's Day, May 12th, and Father's Day, June 16th. To register, visit vetbadger.com and find the link in the description below. Yeah. And, and so has, has that changed a little bit on what success looks like to you right now? Yeah. You know, um, I'm very minimalistic, so I'm probably not the right person to ask. Um, how do we define success? It's interesting. You know, most women in veterinary medicine, most people in veterinary medicine, male or female, um, are high achieving, right? We had to work really hard to get into vet school. We had to work really hard to be a good clinician. And um, everyone has a different definition of, of success. Um, for me, um, after two years of COVID, 
and being quarantined and the stress of it and, you know, having to pull my kid out of daycare for a couple of months and try to be a working parent at the same time and um, trying to survive with my spouse, which was really difficult when, you know, you're not meant to be home 24 seven with your spouse for two years. Um, it was definitely a struggle. And so success to me is, um, it's probably not the purest definition, but it's, um, it's whatever you value. And for me, I value family quality time, um, as the most important thing. So if it's financial success, um, that ultimately helps lead to be able to have that quality time with my family. That's the most important thing to me. Yeah. Uh, well, we are running out of time, so we I'll go ahead and go to our rapid fire questions. But before I do, do you have any last um, piece of advice for the veterinary profession that we have not mentioned? Oh, great question. Um, advice for the veterinary profession in general. I'm going to say um, what I mentioned before. The two things would be remember the reason why you busted your butt to get into veterinary school. Um, I think we often forget our passion. I've wanted to be a vet since I was seven. And many of us were like that. Like, remember your first love um, and the reason why you wanted to be a vet. And if you are ever the point where it becomes a grind, um, that's when it's time to potentially take a break or look for a different option. Go into industry, go teach, take you know, some time off. There's a lot of options out there in veterinary medicine. And I think that's the best thing. Um, the second thing would be, um, to treat each pet the way we would, if it was our own pet or to treat each patient, I should say the way we would, if it was our own pet, unfortunately, the cost of veterinary medicine has gotten so expensive. It's cost prohibitive. And, um, for me, pet ownership is not a luxury of the rich. Everyone should have the right to own a pet. And obviously we want our pet owners to be responsible and implement appropriate preventative care and to take care of their pet as best they can. Um, but um, just keeping in mind that we always want to practice the way we would if it was our own pet. And if you didn't get a discount, would you uh, do X, Y, and Z uh, for, you know, an intestinal foreign body for $10,000, right? Um, so just keeping that in mind, I think that's really important. And then the last tip would be um, learning to let go. The sooner we as veterinary professionals can learn to let go, um, I'm going to say the better our work-life balance. Um, your soaps don't have to be two pages long. Um, your client communication has to be strong. Your quality of care has to be good. Um, but the sooner we could let go of our perfectionist ways, um, the more efficient we can be, the sooner we can pay off our student debt, the better our work-life balance. And um, when I say let it go, I mean, you know, not sweating about um, writing that three-page discharge um, or not sweating how perfectly clean your house is um, or how big your house is. Um, you know, so the more we can let go, I think um, the better our overall, better mental health. That is very good advice. And I, I need that one as well. So again, a lot of people in our profession do, like you said, we have a lot of achievers and uh, uh, perfectionists. So, so yes. Uh, all right. So your, your rapid fire questions, what is something on your bucket list? Ooh, a uh, bucket list 
So my current bucket list that I'm working towards is to go to one country per age of my life. And um, so I'm in my late 40s. So I'm, I'm almost at my bucket list. So that's exciting. I'd love to travel. And uh, COVID definitely put the kibosh on that. Uh, so that was hard. Um, and then as part of my travel bucket list, it's uh, to go to Australia and spend a, at least a month there exploring Australia and New Zealand. Uh, so that's always been on my bucket list too. I All the A's, that. Africa, Australia, yep. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, Antarctica. Oh, wow. Great, great list. Um, what is a simple moment that brings you joy? Hmm. Simple moment that brings me joy. Um, having a quiet cup of coffee before my kid wakes up. <laughs> so I am a morning person, not a super early morning person, but like I'm most efficient from probably seven to 9 a.m. Um, so just being able to quietly have a cup of coffee in peace without the household stirring, um, brings me joy. Yes. I'm a morning person too. Those first moments before there's noise. I love it. Yes. <laughs> um, if you could create a law that everyone had to follow, what would your law be? Hmm. To be kind to people. Um, unfortunately we have a lot of keyboard warriors and, um, maybe it's compounded by COVID where people have just lost the ability to talk to each other, um, and communicate with each other and have just nice conversations. Um, I grew up on the East coast until I was 30. And when I moved to Minnesota, where I've been for, you know, almost 20 years, I will say, um, they call it Minnesota nice out here <laughs> where it's probably a little too passive aggressive, but it taught me uh, the importance of being kind. So if I had a law, it would be um, that everyone should treat each other with respect and be kind. Yeah, good, good rule. All right, and lastly, what is one thing you are very, very grateful for? Um, what am I most grateful for? A lot of things. Uh, I, I implement a high-low for our family every day at dinner time. So we have to talk about the highs yeah. and lows and just remember to be grateful. Um, I'm most grateful for my very unusual veterinary path and career. <laughs> um, I was a total C student uh, at Cornell. I was able to squeak by and graduate with a 3.0 after a year of A's and clinics. But um, if you asked any of my classmates, they would never have said, um, they would have never picked me to, you know, launch that girl or be a small business owner or, you know, be a ambassador, I would say. So I'm just grateful for my path. I'm grateful for the amazing mentors and colleagues um, that have helped lift me up in veterinary medicine. Um, I couldn't have survived my internship without some of my intermates. Same thing with my residency. I wouldn't have been able to survive with um, certain people in my life. And I wouldn't have been able to launch Vet Girl as online veterinary CE without um, some of my veterinary colleagues um, who were my intermates and resident mates and who helped, you know, helped lecture for us at, you know, um, initially lower pay because we were just a small startup. Um, so I would say I'm most grateful for the relational nature of veterinary medicine. It's a big field in that there's, you know, a hundred thousand of us, but I still feel like it's a small enough field where 
everybody knows everybody, which is why it's so important to be kind to each other, right? So I would say I'm most grateful for um, the path in VetMed. Life is a team sport. We we do not do this alone. We do it together. Exactly. So. We all hear the saying, you know, it takes a village to raise a kid, but um, I'm going to say it takes a village to survive in life. This has been the Vet Life Reimagined Podcast. Whether you are listening or watching on YouTube, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure you are subscribed to catch all these amazing people in our profession. Also, send this episode to someone you think would appreciate it. Have a recommendation for someone who would be a good guest? Please reach out on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. There aren't many Dr. Sprinkles. Until next time.